the way that uh, Jeremy kind of described his experience going to the Czech Republic with me before church was that it was something big that turned into, or some, excuse me, something small that turned into something big. He got a sticker, he went for a week on a whim, and it turned into something that you can tell he's passionate about now. And over the last three weeks, uh, last three sermons, I have talked about and we've studied really how we can begin to take small steps towards, towards sharing the gospel. And, and the goal, I think, is right in line with what Jeremy said, and it might be on a smaller scale, a more individual scale. But the goal is for what we've talked about over the last three weeks to, to build into something bigger. And so we talked about a willingness to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to, and that is to make disciples. And then it really starts with going like, man, I really, I really would like to at least tell somebody about what I believe. If you're a Christian, I would like to tell somebody about what I believe. And, and after that, to begin to pray uh, for people and, and to ask God for open doors to share his message, his story with other people. And then, and then after that, looking for those open doors so that uh, as sometimes happens to me, and I had this conversation after church last week, it's like, oh, that was an open door and I missed it, you know, and, and it goes right by. And then, and then being uh, infusing our conversations with grace and salt, as, as Paul describes it, really changing the conversations that we have from being superficial, talking about the weather, talking about how busy we are, into conversations, especially with people who aren't Christians, that actually matter. And it may not mean that you just, you know, you start talking about the Bible all the time, but you ask deeper questions and you really care about their lives and, and you, you try to take the conversation from the weather to something more personal and maybe something more eternal. And so these are, these are the small steps that, that we've kind of talked about that the Bible shows us to get to a place where we are, are able to proclaim the gospel to the people that we love so that they, they may hopefully uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and become Christians. And, and so really what we're looking to do is we're looking to ask God to open doors and then to be a part of those doors opening in people's lives so that we can say something. And then there's this question, right? If you're, if you're anything like me, the question is, okay, once the door opens, somebody says, let me hear more about that Jesus person. What do I say? I mean, what, what do I do when that happens? I mean, what's the first thing to come out of my mouth? Where do I begin? How do I start? What, do, what is that process like? Because all these other small steps, it, once they lead to this door being open and God opens that door, then it's a scary, scary proposition to actually say something, you know? And, and I talked about last week how whether, and I'll stand by this, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you've ever been part of a conversation uh, that goes from, you know, being, you know, deep and profound to actually being a Christian conversation, a conversation about Christianity, then you may have, then you may have experienced like that awkward change in conversation where you're like, how did you 
get to that? Or how did I get to that? And it just, it's like all of a sudden a wrench has been put in between you and the other person. You know what I mean? And, and that seems to happen. It's like, we're, and you, you just know this in general, whenever the conversation flips to something different, then it, then it kind of gets a little weird sometimes, right? And so you're talking about sports and then the person's talking about their life. And then you're like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And I was like, whoa, like what just, what just transpired right there? Something is different. And now the conversation is less fluid and less normal. And so here's the question for the day. How do we prevent that weirdness that sometimes transpires? What's the bridge in between not saying anything and perhaps having, you know, the full-blown conversation, hey, I think you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. I'm really hoping that you do that. And in the passage we'll look at today, Peter answers that question for us. He shows us in one specific instance with a wide open door uh, to share the gospel, uh, one of the most important things that we need to have in our heads, one of the most important things that we need to do. And I think in doing so, he shows us one of the key components, I think, of every conversation that we have about Jesus with somebody who doesn't love Jesus like we who are Christians do. He shows us one of the, the essential foundational pieces of talk, of conversation that, that really probably must be a part of every conversation that a Christian has with a non-Christian. But a lot of times, if, if I'm just kind of paying attention to you know, people who try to share their faith, a lot of times this part of the conversation actually isn't a part of the conversation. And I think that it's why the conversation sometimes gets so weird. And, and so here's where First Peter... Uh, begins in, in chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, here's what you need to know. Uh, the book of 1 Peter, which we're going to study in just a few weeks, is a book that is written to a group of churches who are being persecuted. And surrounding the verses that I want to look at with you this morning uh, is talk by Peter uh, of persecution and how to deal with it. And so Peter is talking before and after the verses that we're going to look at, verses 15 and 16. He's talking about how to deal with people being mean to you, being violent towards you because you're a Christian. And in the middle of that, he sandwiches in some words about proclaiming our faith. But he begins that little sandwichy part by saying, revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. It means to set apart Jesus, God, as the one who is to be respected and served and loved, the one who is to have our utmost uh, devotion. And I think that this is really important because when it comes to proclaiming our faith, here's what I'm fairly convinced of. If Jesus is not set apart as your Lord, if you have not made a decision that you are going to follow him with your entire life, then it will always be an easy decision to not share the truth of the gospel. Because you know that whenever you open your mouth and you say the word Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about Christianity, that all of a sudden you run the risk of being made fun of, you run the risk of losing friends, you run the risk of people thinking that you're weird, you run the risk of people judging you and, and thinking just because of media or whatever that you're a bigot or that, uh, that you hate all people who don't vote Republican, you know, something like that. Uh, it wasn't even that long ago in my life 
life that I had a girl say to me, I was talking to her about Jesus, well, well, you hate gay people, don't you? No, I don't. She's like, well, the Bible says that you're supposed to. And I was like, no, no, it doesn't. And I like gay people. I don't just love them in some theoretical view. I actually like them. Uh, but when I opened my mouth and started to say, hey, let's talk about Jesus, then all of a sudden, and this girl likes me, by the way. This is a person I would consider a friend. She just thought that I must be something that I'm not. And we know that as soon as Jesus is inserted into our conversation, that we run the risk of being seen in a way that we don't want to be seen, that isn't even true. And we run the risk of being made fun of, and we run the risk of persecution. We know that. And so if we don't say Jesus is the one that I'm going to obey, that I've given my entire life to, that, that I am going to be honoring with my life no matter what comes across, then eventually we're just going to stop sharing the gospel because when negative things come, we'll just give up, right? Uh, I think it can be illustrated this way. Oftentimes, um, my wife talks about this, how people that say they don't want to take medicine when they're going to have a baby. I'm going to try to prevent myself from doing this when I talk about having a baby because apparently I have that habit. If you've uh, ever heard me talk about the birth experience with my wife, I always do that. Now I've done it again. But in the future, I will try to avoid that, uh, that graphic hand gesture. Uh, but, but my wife says if a person is like, I might take medicine, uh, then they probably will take medicine as soon as it starts to hurt, right? And I see some women nodding at me, so that must be true. But if you're like, hardline, I will not take the drugs, I'm not taking the drugs, I will not do it, then you have a fighting chance of, of not taking the drugs, of not getting the epidural, I think that's the right word. And, and I think it's the same when it comes to sharing Jesus with people. If we're like, Jesus is the one that I'm going to obey, Jesus is the one I love, Jesus is the one I'm devoted to without question, without hesitation, I'm going to be devoted to you, Jesus. You've told me to share your gospel. Then we at least have a fighting chance of actually doing what Jesus has told us to do, even if we know it's going to have us get made fun of or people aren't gonna like us anymore. But if we go into a conversation like, well, I'll kind of serve you, Jesus. I kind of am on your side on this. Then there's probably, as soon as there's any pushback, we'll be like, oh yeah, well, let's talk about how busy we are, you know? And we'll just go right back to the beginning of the steps we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. And so I think it's important that Peter begins in verse 15 and begins this kind of middle section in between persecution about proclaiming faith by saying, here's what you have to do. And it may not just be a one-time deal. You may need to wake up. You may need to prepare every time you go into a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian going, Jesus, I am setting apart you as my Lord and, and I'm going to do what you want me to do no matter what it costs me, no matter how I'm seen, no matter what people think about me when it's over. You're the one that I'm going to obey. And I think that could be valuable information on a practical level. You know that you're hanging out with your cousin who's not a Christian or your friend who's not a Christian and you're going to go there, then, then maybe just saying a prayer, saying, hey, Jesus, it's really easy for me to forget who I serve. It's really easy for me to, in the midst of conversation, want to please people and not you, you know. And so right now, I'm just taking a second to say, hey, you are my Lord and I will serve you in this conversation no matter what. Peter continues. This is big, this is famous and it's big. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
Last week we talked about, you know, covering our conversations in grace and salt, making them matter. And then we believe, this is what we believe. I, I totally think this is true. If we will pray for open doors, that God will open doors to share the gospel, and then we will do our best to make the conversations matter, to make them deep, to make them spiritual, then I think the doors are going to come open. I think you're going to be blown away at at the amount of doors that open up in your life if you will just ask God to open doors, and then you'll do your best to make conversations matter. And and so again, we'll just, just kind of pose the question of the day, what do we say when those doors go open. And Peter gives us this word, answer, which is a a Greek word, obviously, as most of the New Testament is. It translates into answer, but it's a judicial term. And, And the idea behind this word is actually like to give a defense in a court of law. So that is a little bit scary, right? And the word is actually the word in which we get the word apologetics. That's where it comes from. And apologetics is the the Christian study of how to defend one's faith. And when I hear the word apologetics, I start to think about philosophy and science and things that I am not very well versed in. And all of a sudden I go, whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm looking for these doors open and then I have to go, well, let me give you three philosophical proofs of why God must exist. I think therefore I am. Let's begin there, you know? And it's like, I can't do that. I'm not just saying like, you probably can't do that. I am saying I can't do that. And actually I don't care to do that because philosophy is just so outrageous to me. It's like, let's just talk in real terms, you know? And so for me, like the idea of apologetics is a scary idea. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. This word is used more informally in the New Testament, like give an answer. And I want you to pay attention to what Peter says next. He says, give an answer for all Christian truth? No. For why we believe the Bible to be true? No. He says, give an answer for the hope that you have. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, be ready to give an answer that will prove Christianity true without a doubt. He doesn't say, give an answer that that will be such a great argument that the other person can't help but believe because you gave them the 10 points and it must be true and they're, they're locked in. He says, he says, look, when the door flies open and the conversation switches from just deep and meaningful to, hey, let's talk about Jesus then one of the most important things that you can do, one of the things that you have to be ready to do is give an answer, but the answer is for the hope that you have. This tells me a couple of things. First, it tells me that we need to pay attention to Hebrews 10, 23, which says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I know a lot of Christians And it seems that more and more, the Christians that I know seem hopeless. Uh, We're in an election year, and I'm amazed at how many Christians act like whether one person or the other gets elected, that it's going to be the end of the world, and they're going to have to flee to Canada, and uh, it's going to be the end for them. And, and, And here's what I think. I think that even Christians have a tendency to put their hope in things that will always prove hopeless. It might be politics, it might be your health, it might be a family member, it might be uh, just a myriad of things. But the reality is, as Christians, we only should be placing our hope in one thing because we know that, that the one who promised the amazing things that the Bible promises 
will always be proved true, and that's God. And so our hope is not built on the foundations of non-Christians. Our hope is built on the rock. Our hope is built on Jesus as our Lord and Savior who died for us, as we sang about earlier, was buried, and then he rose again so that we might be saved. And, And I'm telling you this, one of the reasons in our country that people aren't asking us about our Jesus is because they don't see any hope demonstrated in our words or in our lifestyles. And they look at us and they're like, well, you don't have any more hope than me. You're just as paranoid about this election. You're just as paranoid about the things that are going on in our world as I am. Why would I ask you a question about your Jesus when your Jesus hasn't provided you anything that my politics or my family or my government or my whatever has provided me? And I believe that if we were gonna get back to a place where we are proclaiming the gospel consistently, I would even say constantly, then we must get back to a place where we remember all of the hope that God has provided to us by sending his son to die on a cross and rise again. Because when you have a hope that is different, then people are going to begin to wonder why you have that hope. And so one of the things that Peter just says without saying is look, 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 look. A beginning place for open doors to share the gospel is having more hope than non-Christians. What you ought to because we know who we hope in. But the other thing, well, let me read you what Wayne Grudem says about that. He says, Peter must be assuming that the inward hope of Christians results in lives so noticeably different than that of unbelievers that unbelievers are promoted to ask why they are so distinctive. That's humbling, right? Our hope should be so noticeable that unbelievers are prompted to go, wait, why aren't you freaked out about this? He also said this, in hostile situations, the opportunity for witness to Christ often comes unexpectedly. The Christian who is not always ready to answer, will miss it. The more opposition there is against Christianity and what we stand for as Christians, the more opportunity there will be to proclaim the story that we believe in. If you look at the history of Christianity, and even this is going on right now, do you know where Christianity spreads the fastest? The places where the governments hate it the most. Always, it's 100% true. You look right now around our world, China just has been booming with people coming to know Jesus as their savior. And I think it's true because people look at the persecution and they go, wait a minute, you're being treated horribly for what you believe, but yet you still seem more hopeful than the rest of us who are being treated fine. Why? And then people have the guts and the courage to say, here, here's my answer. This is why, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so instead of freaking out when things don't go your way, instead of that, why not go, wait a minute, if I would just continue to hope in Jesus, then there will be more and more opportunity to share the reason that I have the hope in the first place. And then this other thing Peter says without, and this one he actually says, he just says it outright. You must always be ready to give that answer. You must always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. 
Now, this word answer is, is really interesting to me, and I think it's life-changing uh, in some ways. Because this word, oh, excuse me, this word ready, sorry, not the word answer. The word ready is a life-changing word because it doesn't just mean that you have prepared like for a speech, right? Because that's one type of readiness. Like, yeah, I'm ready. I know the answers to a test. I, I understand what I need to understand. I've written something down. I'm prepared. It's not that type of readiness that, that I think Peter is getting at. The word uh, means something more like, on your toes. Like it's this idea of being ready to go. It's the idea of like this, if I could just try to get it with my voice inflection, it's the difference between like, yeah, I'm ready versus like, I'm ready. That makes sense? Did I get it right there? Are you with me now? And so the way that, that perhaps uh, that I think I could illustrate this is I was trying to think of something that illustrated readiness and uh, is, is through uh, what is called not a sand timer, but uh, an hourglass, according to my wife. And I wanted to buy one of these, but big ones are really expensive. And I didn't think the little game ones would work out very well while I'm up here and you're down there. Uh, but, but these symbolize a game to me. And I don't like board games. If you know me very well, then you know I don't like board games. But when I play board games where there's one of these, there is a level of intensity that picks up because, because I am an intense person when I'm competing. And, and, and so for th this, like as soon as that thing is flipped, right? Like you start drawing or you start charading. Is that a verb? Like you start charading and, or you start trying to not say the taboo words or you do whatever you need to do to get it to the next person or to, you know, beat the other team or whatever. And so I think that this symbolizes readiness better than perhaps like the idea of like, I have an answer, you know? Because I think that if you've ever paid attention to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, then what you've thought is like, I need to have an answer for the hope that I have. And you do. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. You do need to have an answer. But the readiness that I think Peter is referring to is not a readiness that you have the answer ready to go. It's a readiness that says, I want to give you the answer as fast as I can possibly give you the answer. It's a readiness that suggests you are excited, you are willing, you are hopeful, you are looking for an opportunity to share with somebody else. It's a readiness like when the thing gets flipped over and you're playing Pictionary or Taboo or whatever and you're like, I am ready to go because I want to get the job done. It's the idea, uh, the same, I, I could have illustrated with a gun, but nobody talks about guns in public anymore because it's so, uh, you know, everybody gets mad on one side or the other. But, but like as you're lining up at the starting block in a race and that gun goes in the air, those guys aren't thinking like, I trained, I am ready, you know? They're like, I'm ready, baby. They're like waving their arms, that's swimming, I think. But you know, like they're ready to go. And this is what I think Peter is getting at. You've already made a commitment to want to be obedient to Jesus' declaration that we are to make disciples. We've been praying, if we're going down this line that we've been learning, we've been praying for open doors and looking for open doors in conversation. We've been salting grace in our conversations, trying to take the conversations deeper, past things that won't live past today or tomorrow. And the door flies open and you're like, yes, I am ready to share the gospel with you. 
I think the idea demonstrates that every time we go into a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian, we are, we are pumped that this might be the day that God opens the door for us to be able to share the truth which results in the hope that we have. That's the readiness that Peter is getting to. And let me back up and say that that readiness is to share and answer for why we have the hope that they are asking about, the reason for the hope. And I would just say this, and if you're part of the Bible study that's been meeting after church on Sundays, then we talked about this last week in our Bible study. But I think the greatest answer that you must have in your head as you're ready to share it is the answer that is your story. Because sure, we can come up with some good arguments about the hope that we have in Jesus, but what people really want to know is why do you have hope? Not why do Christians have hope, but why do you have hope? And so I believe that Peter, if he was sitting here with us today, writing inspired by God, would say one of the most important things you can do is have a readiness like that, uh, that hourglass, a readiness like that to share why you personally have hope from Jesus. And this means that you must, you must be able to share how the story of Jesus intersects with your story. See that? You may be able to tell Jesus' story. You may be able to tell, you probably can tell your story of life. But every Christian must be ready to talk about how those two stories have come together in a real and powerful way that results in us having more hope than the other person. May just be this. We talked about testimonies last week in our Bible study, and that's the, that's the word for what I'm describing right now, a testimony. And we talked about how there's a tendency sometimes to have like a big grand testimony, like I was in a gang for... 38 years and then I did drugs for 30 years after that and you know I killed a few people and at the end of that I found Jesus and I, nothing's ever been the same since you know like we have this tendency and we don't need that story if you have that story that's crazy um, that I just said it this morning but, but if you have like that that you know that story then, then that story matters but you don't need that story because here's what I'm convinced of the hope that we have on a personal level will connect with somebody out there. I come from a divorced home and I've been through a custody battle. And so that is something I have learned that comes up more often than you would think if I'm looking to be salt and grace in my conversations. And so immediately I have this connection. Why was I able to get through that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And so for me, it's like, you know, a split home, that can mess with kids. A custody battle can mess with kids. But hey, Jesus has always been guiding my steps and moving me forward. And sometimes uh, even against my will, it seems he has taken me forward. Not true because I believe God gives me choices, but it seems that way because I've, always, I've wanted to do the wrong thing and go the right direction. But God's always guided my steps. And so here I am, you know, doing just fine because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has done that for me. It's not drugs, it's not a gang, but it's something where my story connects with the story of Jesus and there are other people around me that I have influence in their lives and, and whom I love and whom I connect with that, that their story connects to. And when my story and Jesus' story connect and somebody else's intersects with it, then all of a sudden they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe Jesus' story and my story can connect too. 
Maybe there's something in that Jesus person for me. And so when Peter says, be ready to give an answer, he means be ready, like the stopwatch is flipped over, the door is open, I'm pumped, I'm gonna share. But I think at the most basic level, what he means is not be able to give five proofs for why you believe Christianity to be true. Be able to state how the story of Jesus' death and resurrection has mattered to your life and your journey. This is something my brother and I talk about a lot. The, the one thing people can't argue against is your story. They could choose to reject Jesus. They could choose to, to reject logic, and that happens a lot in our world today, and say, well, I don't care about the proofs because I feel something else. But when you say, this is my story, this is Jesus' story, here's how they combine, there's no argument against it. There's nothing they can say. When you go, look, I was a mess because of my divorce. I was a mess because of my divorce, but I pulled out of it because of Jesus and the hope and the grace and the mercy that I experienced in him. Nobody can go, nah, it was something else. No, it wasn't. It wasn't something else. And if we're gonna be serious about proclaiming our faith, the Christian story, then we must be serious about knowing how our story intersects with the story of Jesus and we may, must be pumped, ready, excited to share that story with other people as the doors open. And then Peter says this though, and this is so key and this is something I've learned as I've gotten older and it's something I'm glad to say I do now but I haven't always done. First Peter 3.15 continues by saying, but do this with gentleness and respect. The idea behind gentleness here is this idea of not being overbearing or dominant. It refers to not demanding one's own way. Paul himself, who was one of the boldest proclaimers of the Christian faith ever, says this in, in 2 Corinthians 10.1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Respect is a big deal. And in our society today, I think one of the reasons that people have rejected Christianity so harshly and so outright is that they don't feel like Christians have respected them. And the sad reality is that a lot of times the boldest people in talking about Christianity are also the people who don't have gentleness or respect when they do talk about Christianity. And they're also the ones who are oftentimes famous because they're on TV. And so people look at Christians and they're like, you don't care about me you just care about proclaiming something. Let me give you an example from my own life that I think I've shared before, but it's worth sharing again. Um, I worked at a retirement home for about five years on and off when it wasn't baseball season or school season, which meant like two weeks a year. But, uh, uh, but I worked at this retirement home and people would come and go. And uh, one day while we were vacuuming after dinner had been served and all the residents had left, uh, we got into a conversation about spiritual things. I don't remember how, uh, but we did. And there was a girl who told me that her beliefs were, and I'm trying not to laugh when I say this because it's still ridiculous to me, but uh, her beliefs were Jewish and Christianity. Those are the two things she believed. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there is a, a pretty big divide between those two beliefs. Like one believes that the Messiah is going to come. One believes that Jesus was the Messiah who came and died for people's sins. There's, and so it is logically impossible 
to believe both of those religions and just to go, I subscribe to Judaism and Catholicism and those are the two that I believe, logically impossible. And she said this to me and I was a younger man, 19, 20 years old and it made me so angry. And I was currently in the process of being educated in the area of apologetics and other things and I just lit into her. I just, I was, I was mad. Like, no, I, I may have called her an idiot. I'm not sure I actually called her an idiot, but everything that I said demonstrated to her, I pretty much think you're an idiot. Uh, and you know how far that conversation got me as far as actually leading her to Jesus? Nada. She may have cried. She never wanted to talk to me again. I think I apologized to her later. It, it did nothing for anybody. It made me feel guilty about how I had responded but a lot of times we think that if we're going to proclaim the gospel, then we almost have to be like that. I mean, we, don't, we wouldn't say that out loud, but we have this feeling like as I, I have to like, you know, kind of be get in there and let them know that they're wrong and all of that. And you may need to let people know they're wrong, but Peter reminds us that when we give the answer for the hope that we have, it must be done with gentleness and respect. I'm not sure any person's ever been led to Jesus because somebody made them feel like an idiot. But I think a lot of people have come to Jesus because they go, we believe differently, but you respect me more than anybody else. We believe differently, but you, you seem to have my best interest in mind and not your own. So let me hear more about that Jesus that you love, that you're, that you're sharing with me. And so when you open your mouth and you begin to tell how your story intersects with the story of Jesus, then, then you must do it with gentleness and respect because I promise just from personal experience that that will go much further in leading a person to Jesus than, than being a jerk will. Peter continues, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander and this is something that after we finish this series in a couple of weeks, that's what we're gonna talk about because we're preaching on 1 Peter. I won't do these two verses again. Maybe I could do the exact same sermon. It would save me a little time, but uh, we won't do these verses, but we're gonna do the whole book of 1 Peter over 10 weeks. And here, let me tell you what the whole book of 1 Peter is kind of about. You're Christians. People are being mean to you because of it, but here's how you need to live beautifully so that those same people who are being jerks to you might come to know the Jesus that you know. That's the summary of 1 Peter. And so Peter reminds us here, look, if you are ever going to have doors open, then it means that you must be living with a clear conscience and you must be living with behavior that is beautiful to God and to the outside world. And I just wanna offer here before we look at that 1 Peter series, one of the reasons I'm excited to do 1 Peter is because of what this word conscience really means. If you take the Greek word, it means knowing oneself. And I think we live in a generation of Christians who don't even see how outsiders see them because they never are introspective enough to see what's actually going on in their lives. And I think that as we study the book of 1 Peter together, we're going to get to a place where we go, wait a minute, maybe my life isn't quite as beautiful as I wanted it to be when I set out on this journey of life. People love saying bad things about Christians. This is kind of what Peter's saying. It's fairly acceptable in our society, you know that, right? Like you can't make fun of anybody, but you can make fun of Christians. And the question is, how do we respond to that often? Like, what do we do about that? And Peter's answer is, live beautifully. 
says that exactly in 1 Peter 2, 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So here's what I want to say one more time. As Christians, we must live a godly life. We must decide to be obedient to the command that Jesus has given us to make disciples. We need to remember that the story of good Jesus, of Jesus is good news. It's not something negative and it is to be presented as good news. We must pray. We must infuse our conversation with great and salt. And then we must look for open doors. And when those open doors come, this is what, this is what Peter's telling us then we must be ready, ready, ready to give an answer, to share how our story connects with the story of Jesus and why that has presented us with such great hope. Live the story, know the story, and be ready to share the story with others. Will you pray with me? Lord, man, it's a bummer, God, and I don't know why this is what pops into my head to pray, but it's a bummer that in our society the the Christians who are most willing to share your truth, God, are, are also the Christians that seem like the biggest jerks a lot of times. And I pray that, that we who are here this morning, God, this group of people that you've brought together to hear this sermon, to look at this passage of scripture, we would buck that trend, God, and we would be absolutely willing, excited, ready to share your gospel, and we would do it with gentleness and respect, Lord. I pray, God, for all of us who are here this morning that we would be prepared with an answer. I pray, God, that perhaps people in this church this morning would, would write down their story so that they know how your story intersects with their story, how there's a combination and a connection there, God. And I pray, God, that we would be excited to tell others about it. And God, my hope for this morning is that Maybe now, for the first time, we who are here, who are Christians, God, would, would be prepared to give an answer. And we wouldn't see this, this giant uh, canyon, as I described it last week, Lord, where to bring up you, Lord, is, is just this paradigm shift. And, and where to share you, Jesus, is is a total shift in our conversations from kind of a normal everyday conversation to something different than that. But instead, God, we would see how, how the impact you've had on our lives is a normal thing to share when we remember how personal and how intimate that good news has become for those of us who believe it. And I pray, God, instead of going, oh, man, now I have to talk about Jesus, we would just go, wow, I get to tell people how amazing Jesus has been to me and to my life. And, God, when those doors open up, we would, we, we would proclaim your truth. God, I pray that you use what we talked about this morning to lead people to salvation. Because as I prayed last week, and I pray a lot, Lord, uh, I want this to be a church where we baptize people every single week, uh, where we have songs and prayers and a sermon and baptisms, God, because so many people are accepting you as their savior. And that only happens as we begin, God, to give an answer for the hope that we have. And so I pray we would do that faithfully, God. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.